the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Happy Friday, May 7th, 2021. We are delighted to be able to report from Christina Wirtz this story. Any mother who has had to bury her child, one of the most devastating and enduring tragedies of motherhood, can take heart on Mother's Day. You are not alone. The mother, who was the very inspiration for the holiday, Anne-Marie Reeves Jarvis, lost seven of her 11 children during the mid-1800s in rural Virginia. The dedication to honoring and supporting mothers displayed by Anne-Marie Reeves Jarvis inspired her daughter, Anna Jarvis, who never married or had children, to lobby for a holiday to honor the best mother who ever lived, your mother. After a few years of local celebrations, Mother's Day became a national holiday on May 9, 1914. Anne-Marie Reeves was born in 1832 in Virginia to a Methodist preacher and his wife. At age 17, she married Granville Jarvis, son of a Baptist minister. The couple moved to West Virginia, where Granville began his career as a merchant. Seven children born to the young couple did not live past the age of six, dying from infectious diseases including measles, typhoid, scarlet fever, diphtheria, ailments common in Appalachian communities at the time. Indeed, Anne Marie's story was not uncommon. Throughout the 19th and early 20th century, an estimated 30% of infants died before their first birthday in Appalachia largely due to epidemics spread by poor sanitary conditions. At age 26, while pregnant with her sixth child, Anne-Marie decided to take action. She called on mothers of local communities to form Mother's Day work clubs in their churches to improve the lives of babies. Enlisting the help of her brother, Dr. James Reeves, who was treating victims of typhoid fever, they organized events where doctors led discussions with local mothers on the hygiene practices that could keep their children healthy. Before 1880, there was no organized group of physician, physicians for children in the United States and no specific subspecialty fields within health care for children. These clubs provided medicine for the poor, hired women to work for families in which the mothers were ill, and inspected bottled milk. Non-breastfed infants experienced particularly high mortality rates because much of the cow milk supply came from cows fed only distiller's mouth, mash and housed in filthy conditions without air, exercise, or hay, and many also infected by bovine tuberculosis. When the Civil War began, Anne-Marie found her community divided by northern and southern loyalties in a railroad town strategic to both sides. She called on her clubs not to choose sides but to remain neutral and serve all in need. The clubs then fed and clothed soldiers from both sides who were stationed in the area. 
after the war ended, Anne-Marie called for the end of hostilities in an area so contentious that the state split in 1863, which is why it formed into West Virginia. They planned a Mother's Friendship Day, bringing together the blue and the gray to heal animosities. As the daughter of a preacher, Anne-Marie was a faithful church-going woman who helped raise funds to build Andrews Methodist Episcopal Church in 1873. She taught Sunday school for 25 years and led classes on Mothers of the Bible. Her prayer at the end of one of the classes called for recognition of mothers everywhere. Quote, I hope and pray that someone sometime will found a Memorial Mother's Day commemorating her for the matchless service she renders to humanity in every field of life. Close quote. That was her prayer. Anne-Marie Jarvis, the ninth of 11 children, was 12 years old when she heard her mother's prayer, recalling this heart-rending, agonizing prayer and how it burned its way into my mind and heart so deeply, and how it never ceased, ceased to burn. I could never forget it. When her mother died in 1905, she vowed to fulfill that dream and organized the first Mother's Day celebration at her home congregation. As she campaigned for a national holiday, she was writing hundreds of leg letters to legislatures, executives, businessmen. A popular speaker like her mother before her, Anna took every opportunity to promote her vision. Well, today Mother's Day is celebrated around the world on different dates. In the United States, more than 133 million Mother's Day cards are exchanged each year, and the day generates more than $20 billion in consumer spending. Anna Jarvis was so appalled by the commercialization of the holiday in her time that she tried desperately <laughs> to get it rescinded after she got it passed, spending the rest of her life protesting it. But her initial proclamation for the celebration struck a chord that has endured for nearly 120 years. In one of the earliest celebrations, Anna Jarvis explained the meaning of the holiday quite poignantly. She wrote, This day is intended that we may make new resolutions for a more active thought to our dear mothers by words, gifts, acts of affection, and in every way possible give her pleasure and make her hurt glad every day, and constantly keep in memory Mother's Day. When you made this resolution, lest you forget and neglect your dear mother, if absent from home, write her often. Tell her of a few of her noble good qualities, and how you love her. God bless our faithful good mothers. I wanted to share that with you as we go into this weekend, Mother's Day weekend. And the reason I wanted to is, I think in a way we may have been unfair here. Over the years, as I was driving in, I was thinking about Mother's Day weekend coming up and how we make a very big deal on this show, certainly, of Father's Day and the importance of fathers throughout the year. We really do. We talk a lot about it in social policy. And I think maybe we do it at the expense of mothers. What do we say about mothers? Well, we talk a lot, don't we, about the challenges of single motherhood. We talk a lot about that here on this show, and we talk a lot about the importance of fathers. But let us not neglect the mothers, and let us recognize that when we talk about fathers here and the importance of fathers, we do so knowing that that is part of a completed unit that makes for the best raising of a child. People say, well, you know, you don't want to beat up on fatherless 
mothers, yeah, mothers with fatherless children or, or children who are fatherless. Of course you don't. It's like they can do very honorable and noble work. Of course they can. It's harder. It's a lot harder. You can grow up in Beirut and become successful too. It's harder than growing up in Phoenix or Manhattan even. It can be done. It's more difficult. But we won't, don't want to dismiss mothers here because in our quest to accentuate the importance of fathers and perhaps the responsibility of mothers to seek fathers and fathers to seek mothers, it's important that we recognize what they do and the hard challenges they undertake as well. I had this especially on my mind as I was coming back from a golf tournament today on behalf of this charity nonprofit I'm involved in called Not My Kid. And we did a, um, we did a, uh, so a, um, fundraising uh, golf tournament today on behalf of Not My Kid, which is a prevention organization trying to help children make good life decisions and help prevent them from engaging in dangerous behaviors like substance abuse and other other negative behaviors that lead to problems not only immediately but later in life. And what I was delighted to see was a, a veritable equal spread of mothers and fathers at this golf tournament. Usually at these kinds of events on a weekday morning, you will just see mothers. And I was glad to see mothers and fathers there because the chances of a child growing up with an intact family of mothers and fathers, with a mother and a father, chances that that child is going to succeed in life are much, 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 much higher than a, parent, than a child with only one over the other. And when they both can be involved in the upbringing and care of their kids, so much the better. And I think this past year, year and a half, really, of such societal torture we've provid- we've 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 given our children literally torture through the disruption of their social and educational environments the disruption and shutting down of their social and educational environments that torture that we have put them through will only uh, be repaired not by the government but by parents understanding this and i think they've understood it very seriously over the last year year and a half which is why i think you're now seeing stories of parents rolling up their sleeves and getting involved and going to these school board meetings and talking about schools opening and talking about masks coming off and talking basically about normalcy. Normalcy. In a society like ours, Republican form of government, it can only be sustained, only, if there is a commitment to treating each other decently. Decency. It really, as Edmund Burke said, is more important than the law. The manner of decency is more important than the law. And where do you learn decency from? You learn it from your mothers. God bless mothers and happy Mother's Day. I'm Seth Leaps, and we have a full and packed show coming up for you today, including a brand new guest on sports and culture, Steve Sabin. I can't wait. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Open lines Friday. Your show will be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Happy Friday, by the way. Open line Friday. Your show. 602-508-0960. Anything you want to talk about. All the um, attention that was paid in January and February to Joe Biden's most diverse cabinet in the history of America, all the um, all the uh, celebratory statements about the cabinet that looks like America, the cabinet that truly represents America, senators who threatened not to approve confirmable appointees unless they were members of certain minority races. What 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 point is there in that if what they stand for stinks? So we 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 have this um is it the first female secretary of the treasury and Janet Yellen of course she used to be the head of the fed so you know how much of a barrier is is broken here as Dennis likes to say boy I can't tell you how proud it made me to be a man to know that a man was the Secretary of the Treasury. But if it does mean something, okay. But shouldn't it mean something you want to be proud of in policy? Here's the L.A. Times headline. You can find this elsewhere. New York Times, Washington Post, it's everywhere. April jobs report, job growth slows sharply, unemployment up. Job growth slows sharply. Unemployment up. What did it slow sharply from? The previous president. Where is unemployment up from? The previous presidency. I'm not saying that because of people's gender, don't get me wrong, we have these things. Of course not. Of course not. Uh, Some of the greatest economic policy advisors I've known would have done well in presidential cabinets. And indeed, Donald Trump nominated another female to the Fed, Judy, um, uh, I'll think of her last name in a minute, Judy something, uh, in any event. Uh, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the Senate didn't approve her. So I've got to tell you, um, you can celebrate all this artificial stuff and what it means. You can celebrate that we have the first female vice president or the first Indian-American or the first Indian-African or Indian-Caribbean vice president of the United States. How's she been doing on, on anything? How's she been doing on American-Indian relations? How's she been doing on issues that brought female uh, Democrats to the House and to the Senate? on issues having to do with Me Tooism and not taking sexual harassment seriously. How's she doing that when she was asked about Andrew Cuomo? Do you remember her response? She's had nothing to say. Even senators who used to be in the club with her from New York, like Schumer and Gillibrand, have asked for him to resign. She's got nothing. Are we proud? Are young girls proud to look at this? She was given perhaps the biggest portfolio job in the entire administration, given the news of the administration, and that was the border crisis. Has she gone to the border? Has she held a press conference on the border? Has she held a public meeting on the border? Has she given a speech on it? Has she taken questions on it? This was two months ago. The answer to all of the above is no, nothing, zero.
So we can say, well, how wonderful it is. The question is, if they're not any good at their job, does that make for a better? Does that make for an argument for diversity when it shows failure? Because the important thing is diversity and not merit or qualification or ability. Judy Shelton, thank you for reminding me of that. Judy Shelton was the Fed nominee of Donald Trump's. I, look, I, I just there, – there, there is an obvious frictional standard here. No one cared about the first African-American national security advisor. No one cared about the second African-American national security advisor. You know why? They were both Republicans serving Republican presidents. No one cared about the first black secretary of state. No one cared about the second – black secretary of state. You know why? They served Republican presidents. Okay. Okay. But if secretary of state and secretary of treasury is important, it's an important issue to put people of diverse backgrounds in those jobs. Think about what the Republican Party has brought. Is secretary of state more important than secretary of treasury? I don't know. Foreign policy is at least as important as fiscal policy. At least. At least. And this issue of gender, I have to tell you, it brings up a little bit uncomfortably something, doesn't it? I got an email this morning, and I've been thinking about it since I got it, saying, did you see Caitlyn Jenner on The Hannity Show? Caitlyn Jenner sat for an extensive interview with Sean Hannity on, I believe it was Wednesday night. It was Wednesday night. And has now sucked out all the oxygen of other Republican candidates for governor in California. Based on not only the power of Caitlyn Jenner's name, but what looks to be a quite substantially serious candidacy for the governor of California under a Republican banner. First transgender governor. Are we okay with that, by the way? Are you good with that? How many of you in the audience would be okay with contributing money to or urging friends to vote for Caitlyn Jenner as governor of California? Let me pose that question, and you let me know. 602-508-0960. A lot of you cheered when Peter Thiel and Donald Trump spoke at the Republican convention in 2016 about welcoming gay Americans. Are we ready for this? Next step? Are you okay with it? Let me know. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Open lines Friday, 602-508-0960. Caitlyn Jenner's made some news over the last uh, five days doing an interview with Sean Hannity and also an impromptu interview with, I think it was a TMZ reporter, who put a microphone in front of uh, Caitlyn asking her about whether uh, transgender should compete in uh, high school or college athletics. 
on, uh, on, on the teams opposite of which the gender of their birth. And she said, no, as a matter of fairness, they should not. This engendered a lot of outrage on MSNBC. Charlotte Clymer, a transgender activist, called Jenner, quote, a hateful person, a hypocrite, and the Phyllis Schlafly of the trans community. Jamel Hill, a sports journalist and writer for The Atlantic, told her 1.4 million Twitter followers that Jenner is, quote, the Candace Owens of the trans community, close quote. Equality California, an LGBTQ advocacy organization, wrote, quote, Here are the facts. Caitlyn Jenner is willing to sacrifice the health and well-being of trans kids to win votes. Others on Twitter, including models, transgender models, whose names may be familiar to people in that community but not to me, so I'm not going to read them, quote, self-loathing, vapid fame, words I can't use, that abuses her privilege and platform. By the way, you know what struck me was that one, the Candace Owens of the trans community. Do you know what that means when when an organiz- when someone or an organization says that? This is Jamel Hill from Atlantic <coughs> who said that tra- Caitlyn Jenner is the Candace Owens of the trans community. There's, there's a couple of things going on in lines like that. Uh, first of all, good that Candace Owens has saturated so much uh, of the culture that People can now use her as a reference point. That's good. You want that? (laughs) Someone may say, who's Candace Owens? Let's go listen to what she has to say. Oh, that makes sense. Okay, another one bites the dust. Perfect. Fine. Use that analogy for that point if you want. But the interesting thing about it is the Candace Owens of. What does that mean? What does that mean? Does it mean the young person who's so conservative and is betraying the young people of the world by being a conservative? No. No, I don't think Jamel Hill means that. Do you, Bill? When she says the Candace Owens of the trans community, I don't think she means Candace Owens is a young person betraying young people. Is it, do you think it's because Candace Owens is a woman who's betraying the female community because she is a conservative? No, I don't think so either. What is it about Candace Owens that makes her a metaphor of negativity so that Jamel Hill of Atlantic can say so-and-so? In this case, Caitlyn Jenner is the Candace Owens of the trans community. Could it be her pigmentation? You think it is? You think it's her skin color? I do too. So what does that mean? Again, there it is. In yes, I mean to say this, sharp relief and black and white. This is racism. This is racism, pure and simple. It's not racialism. Sometimes we use that word. This is not racialism. This is racist bigotry to say the Candace Owens of the trans community because it means that black people have to think a certain way, according to Jamel Hill. Your pigmentation determines your thought. It's that simple. Pigmentation importance. Jamel Hill probably knows very little about Candace Owens. Probably, but knows one thing and one thing well, and the only thing that's important to Jamel Hill, and that's Candace Owens' race. It's the only thing that's important to Jamel Hill here, such that she can call Caitlyn Jenner the Candace Owens of the trans community. Because you are black, you have to think a certain way. Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. Because you're Jewish? There was a society organized around that principle. Because you're Jewish, 
you do think a certain way. And because you think that way, and it undermines society, it poisons society, it is a capitalist version of society when we are trying to create a socialist country, you will be killed. Can you support Caitlyn Jenner if she can create conservative policies for California and oust Gavin Newsom? That's the question I'd love to know. 602-508-0960. Let me know. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Paul Simon, probably one of the most gifted lyricists in the world, was asked, cinematographer's party, what is that? And he said, well... I just needed the syllables. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything else that gave me as many syllables as cinematographer. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I was golfing today with my buddy Jim at this charity event I was telling you about. We were talking about if you could have lunch with anyone, who would it be? Who would it be? And I, I literally said one of the people I wanted to have lunch with was Paul Simon. I have some questions about some of his lyrics. His partner, Art Garfunkel, has the or one of the. I believe it's the but it might be one of the biggest private book collections of anyone in New York City and Manhattan, where you know there are probably lots of big damn book collections. These guys are very well read, which is why their lyrics are, I guess, so good and interesting. I've asked about Caitlyn Jenner. Do we want to give a flavor of it first? Uh, yeah, okay. Ken, hold on the, on the line, and those who have emailed me and texted me, can, can, can you as a conservative, will you get uh uh behind Caitlyn Jenner's campaign if she is the you know republican of of consequence running against Gavin Newsom in the recall can you and would you a little from the Hannity interview bill what would you have done differently if you were the governor with covid-19 uh, first of all Gavin Newsom on this issue has been absolutely horrible okay he's used it as a political tool in this state to shut it down, to control people. And that should not happen. He's destroyed businesses. Thousands of businesses were destroyed, restaurants destroyed, not being able to open up. Um, He should have done a better job. I don't blame anybody back in March of 2020. I don't blame the federal government uh, for coming down and saying, we're gonna shut this country down quickly, and they did. But I don't think anybody had any idea how it was going to be a political game to reopen. As you said, some states have done very well. You mentioned Florida. Um, We've done a terrible job. Easy example. Florida, Orlando, Disney World opened up nine months ago. Uh, Anaheim, Disneyland opened up six days ago. We're talking nine months of shutting Disneyland down when it didn't have to be shut down. Um, And the list of that goes over and over and over. And just his total mismanagement of this process. Did you would you if you had to pick governors in the country, because like New York, Newsom, Whitmer, Murphy, Wolf, they they all have the executive orders for nursing homes, which people don't seem to talk about. Right. Are there. Two or three governors that you look at in the country that you think do, are doing a great job that you, if you become yeah. governor, would like to be? Texas doing a great job. I Honestly, I would have coordinated with those people. I would have been calling them. 
and talking what's working for you, what's not working for you. It becomes, and I look at the successful ones, they've all been a, a collaboration between private business and government. Would you well, open the state? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's hear him say that. Go tomorrow. ahead. Absolutely. Would you open, open the it state? Right up? Absolutely. Actually, you know what? So his models, or Caitlin, I, I'll do whatever you, is the appropriate thing here. here. I think it's her for now. Caitlin Jenner's models for good governance are Texas and Florida. That tells you a lot. <laughs> that tells you a lot. The emails I'm getting, I have to tell you, are mixed. I'm getting some saying we cannot support someone who lives that lifestyle. We cannot engage in that. I have another that says I follow perspective and policy, not style, color, or sex. Another listener writes in, Caitlyn Jenner may be the transgender Donald Trump. (laughs) That's pretty smart, Charles. If she is in touch with the citizens of California relating to the people and being fiscally conservative and pro-free thought, she may do well. Newsom Newsom is a very low bar, and even Kamala Harris, like Newsom, appears far more to, more out of touch than Jenner ever could. And hell will the left wrestle with the transgender candidate by saying she's betraying transgender interests, I suppose. Meanwhile, we just truck on with a transgender candidate and probably elect her to the governorship. Ken and Chandler, what do you think? Uh, my short answer, Seth, is yes, I can step uh, in and support Caitlyn Jenner, primarily because of the position that Jenner holds. Um, that's the short answer. The, the the thought process that goes behind it is a little bit deeper than that. I'd love it. Um, the you know, I, I can't I can't go as far as to refer to Caitlyn Jenner as she, okay. her, Miss, okay. Mrs. Okay. Ms. Okay. Um, but. To me, um, that is inconsequential to um, conserving American values and conserving our way of life and, quite simply, logic. Wait, what is um, – Ken, I missed a jump there. What is what, – what, what is to preserving American life? What is the important part? Uh, the, the important part is, is everything that Caitlyn Jenner is – Pushing out uh, 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 the, uh, uh, the policies she's articulating, policies, or he, or whatever. Right. All okay. of the, all of yeah. the policies are conservative-based. Yeah. All of all of the words that are coming out of candidate Jenner, Jenner, Jenner's mouth is everything that the Republicans want and need. Would you not um, want someone can who is transgender who themselves doesn't take it like a militaristic woke person? who would get on your case because you slip with he and she. It seems to me Caitlyn Jenner is not the kind of person that would get mad about that sort of thing, and I'll tell you why. In this, ad, in her latest ad, his latest, whatever, in her latest ad, in her latest ad, it has a commentator in clips about her referring to her as a he. She let that fly. That tells me this is not someone who's militant about it. i got to tell you, that may be a little refreshing. It absolutely is. And, I, you know, again, I believe in the American dream. I believe in the pursuit of happiness. And what is the pursuit of happiness? Uh-huh. If Caitlyn Jenner wants to portray a feminine image in public and, and live in a dress and makeup and nails, then if that's the pursuit of happiness that, that candidate Jenner, Jenner is going for and makes him happy, then by all means, who am I to say anything different? As long as he, she is not 
force feeding me to, to push him to say you need to you need to refer to me as Mrs. Well, Ms. I think that, and I think that, and I think Caitlyn Jenner's perspective or position on uh, uh, on on the gender. Your how do you call what would you call this uh, gender dysphoria? G- gender dysphoria and sports. You know, not sports, s- exactly. I, I think that's a pretty important statement of. I'm not imposing my lifestyle on you, isn't it? I think it is. That's that's exactly it. Because we we encounter people every day in our lives that are gay, that are um, you know LGBT. All these, all these. Everybody's got a different character trait about them. And on on a on a, a person to person level, if that's not the subject, if I can walk up to somebody who's flamboyantly gay and I can have a conversation with them and have lunch with them and then leave and say that, you know, I had a great conversation, then I'm all for that. Right. That's the win. That's the integrationist win. Too many in the public pressure communities and organizations who say they support the civil rights of those people they claim to represent, they don't agree with that. They think the topic should be gender. We don't. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Could you get behind Caitlyn Jenner if Caitlyn becomes the the uh, Republican of effective record in pushing Gavin Newsom out of office in his recall? By the way, we'll get Pete Peterson's thoughts on that a little bit, too. I want to ask him a few other things. But there was this interesting exchange. I was looking at the transcript between Hannity and Jenner, Sean Hannity and Caitlyn Jenner. And Hannity pushes Jenner, are you a Republican or are you a Democrat? Let me just quote directly what Jenner answers. Quote, I have always been on the Republican side just because I have conservative economic values. You know the old saying, lower taxes, less regulations. You know a more friendly business of environment. And we don't have that in California. But socially, I've been much more progressive all my life. People do need help. You know we need programs, but you cannot have social programs without an economy. Doesn't happen. I have to tell you, I, you know, I've worked for a lot of pro-growth people in my life, including maybe the godfather of pro-growth policy, Jack Kemp. I think that's a beautiful statement. I think this statement, you cannot have social programs without an economy, is a great simplifying line. I'll tell you what else is. Sean Hannity said when we get to specifics, California's a sanctuary state. We have sanctuary cities. Would you eliminate sanctuary status? Do you know what Jenner said? It's a brilliant answer. I would keep it as I would make it a sanctuary state for small businesses. I love that. I love that. And Sean says, but on immigration, and and Jenner says, no, on immigration, no, we should not be a sanctuary. He gets the answer right either way. But that I would be a sanctuary. I want every Republican running to start talking about sanctuary, building a sanctuary state in their community for small businesses. I love that idea. That is Kempion. Gloria in Phoenix, hi. Hi. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Could you support Caitlyn Jenner for governor? I could not, not at all. He's lost. He's twisted. You think it's the lifestyle is just too confusing. You know what's interesting? This is extremely interesting. 
every email I've gotten saying I could get behind him, and including uh, the call before, Ken, was male. All my emails saying no, and this last call, Gloria, female. Interesting, isn't it? Let's think on that. I'm Seth. We'll be right back.